This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome back to Material Is Your Business on Mouth Media Network. You know, the pressure to deliver the best product for your business is, is around you, and it only gets greater with all the crazy changes in technology and around sustainability and the future of design. And if you've ever been concerned about that and still want to deliver the best of the best, well, we have the expert here to address it. It's Caroline Cockerham. She is an expert in material development around these new innovative technologies and sustainability. And the show starts right now. Hi, guys. I am Caroline Cockrum, and I am a sustainability and technology-focused material developer or product developer, whichever one you choose. I love materials. They clothe us. They surround us in our homes. Uh, They make us feel good and comfortable. And there's also a lot of ways that they can improve our lives. From New York City, this is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Your hosts for this episode are Samantha Cortez, international consultant and founder of Samantha's Platform, and Stephanie Benedetto, CEO and co-founder of Queen of Raw. And now... Here are your hosts. Welcome, everyone. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Cortez. Hola. Our guest today is Caroline Cockerham. She's an expert in material development around innovative technologies and sustainability in design. And great to have you here, Caroline. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So in the first segment of the show, we just want to give everybody kind of a quick snapshot of who you are and a little bit about your background and what you do. Okay. Well, uh, as Stephanie said, I'm Caroline Cockrum. Um, You could call me a material developer, um, but I like to think holistically, too, about products, product development um, from start to finish. And um, I grew up in North Carolina. Um, my family goes way back in the textile world. My my family picked cotton, and my great-grandfather was a dye master at a mill in High Point, North Carolina, and he would come home. His hands were always stained blue, and I love that story my mom tells about him. Um, so I feel like I come about it honestly. I was always in love with textiles as a kid and played in my cabinets like I think I used to use paper until I realized like paper just doesn't cut it you got to get a textile in there so um, I went to school for my undergrad at NC State North Carolina State University and studied product development um, which is a really cool like holistic degree around textiles it goes into chemistry and stuff that I never wanted to know anything about but I guess I'm happy that I learned Uh, and then I went back to school um and got a master's degree in textile sustainability. And I feel like this is what really um, started my journey into where I am now, um, because the sustainability piece, I believe, is so important to the future of textiles. Um, I have worked in mills, both domestically and internationally. Um, I worked in in a textile mill in North Carolina that's owned by a family friend of mine, um, and it was like five brothers, and 
we do technical design up at the front of the mill and it was mattress ticking just to be a little more specific. Um, and we designed these double knits and then I would like go sit in this old man's office and his name was Bill and we would design the technical, um, documents, whatever the technical specifications for these double knits on a floppy disk. And then it was this big old mill in North Carolina that had, you know, we couldn't quite fill out the capacity of the mill there. So we would have to ride bikes all the way into the back part of the mill where the knitting machines were and load them up into the knitting machines. And this was my first experience working in mills and I fell in love with it because these are the true makers, you know, these are the people that are like, they have the ideas and they're actually doing it. And you get this rapid prototyping um, where you can just ride your bike into the back of the mill and there you have it. It's got to give you such a different mm -hmm. perspective when you're sitting there literally getting your hands dirty in the most wonderful way to understand what these materials are and, and what mm -hmm. they can do for you and for your ultimate product. And I know you've had some experience then taking the, that understanding and applying it to some businesses. Um, what, what does that process actually look like of material development when you have this idea? And how do you walk through that process? Well, so... Uh, it goes from, like, material development in a mill is different from material development in a brand. And so um, those two, there's a push and pull between the two. Do and you think it's that, or do you think it's that they just don't look at the whole process of it? They don't understand, say, hey, we have to look at where, how it's woven first before we design onto it. I think, I think it comes from a product need standpoint, the, the brands come up with a product need a lot of times and they realize like they're the merchants in the situation and they, they know what, what their consumer wants. Um, and it's this whole cyclical conversation and development process between a brand and a mill and the mills are the like real makers and like kind of the, the, the genie behind the curtain, like that are doing all this hard work and the innovative work. Um, and these brands kind of like they shepherd each other along through this process. And so my experience working in a mill helped inform my experience working in a brand um, from a material development perspective. I knew the processes and what what happens in a mill uh, to make a piece of fabric. And then from that aspect, I could play back from yeah, so what is that process then? I brand want to do X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. with my product. I approach a mill, and then what? So as a brand, it starts with what is your product? And um, as a material developer, you have a, a product brief, and you begin to look out across the world because it is a global industry. And you find mills who are the correct pair with what the product needs to look like. And as a material developer, you, you like segment up your mills, you know, who is the mill that works really, really great on warp knits. Um, and what is this one mill that's doing a lot of innovative things and what machinery do they have that can allow you to get to that end goal? And so it has, you have to have a really strong understanding of who these mills are, what their core competencies are, 
um, have they been successful for you in the past? Um, so it starts with that and you begin a conversation with these mills and you have your product brief, um, and you have to really understand like what fibers does this product need to contain and what are the testing parameters that we need to go through? And in my previous jobs, we would begin with one fabric, take it through a testing, um, lab and in the lab, we would test it for all the specific qualifications that we needed to arrive at to have this final functional product. And in tandem, we would test it in the field to make sure that lab testing was matching up with field testing. That's actually really, um, it's very interesting because I'm mm-hmm. going to the mills myself. It just mm-hmm. gives me chills when you just mentioned, oh, spend time in the mill. <laughs> I was like, wow, cool. Somebody knows and understands textiles as much, but it's, um, it's, it's looking into bringing back things to America and the approach to the people that are here designing. Do you think that um, the companies have to really start focusing on having their employees understand more the different type of technologies and equipments that are surrounding them? I believe that's the best way to go about an efficient design process is to have people who understand holistically from how things are made um, all the way up through how to design them. Like we, I, I believe that it's important that we expand our understanding of, of design uh, beyond Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop and things that look pretty. And, and I know that that's, I'm, you know, that's a dumbed down. Most people know a lot about this process, but um, getting into the mills, I believe, is the best way to not only understand the process, but also have empathy for how things are made. Because I think a lot of our sourcing conversations and our engagements with mills can be volatile in some cases, because we're like, we need this, we need it now. And we don't care how it gets done. And I believe that that has to stop the, the latter half of we don't care how it gets done. Um, so yeah. how how does a brand then, if they're looking at material development, think ahead and get ahead of that? Is this something they should assume takes six months to a year and they need to be a more established brand um, in order to be able to engage in kind of custom material development? Or are there, with some of these newer technologies, opportunities for um, more emerging brands as well as for quicker turnaround times with material development? Good question. So I do believe that material development should start ahead of design. And that might be a tricky um, ask for a lot of brands who um, start with design and then they do first, second, third protos and a a different material and then finally the material is there. I think that materials need to be tested and proven before they get put into a product. Um, And that process is harder, as you mentioned, for smaller brands who don't necessarily have the purchasing power to develop with mills. Um, But at the same time, we know we're seeing with um, some of the new 3D machines and some of the newer technologies mm -hmm. that things can be done quicker. They can be done a little easier. And from what you just described, what I found really interesting is not only doing the lab testing, but also the performance actual wear testing. And that's Mm -hmm. something that 
any brand can do, even mm. if it's literally someone wearing something in the rain or under different performance conditions, um, especially with all the kind of sportswear, athleisure wear developments we're seeing around material development. So, you know, it does open up, I think you're right, an Absolutely. opportunity. I think your product is only as good as the material that you use. And so that's a huge part of sustainability that if you make a beautiful product and then your materials aren't made to last, then it's going to be a throwaway product in the end. And so, um, yes, I believe that even though this whole focus on athleisure, I think it has created um, a new job out there for material development um, to create these functional high tech materials that that process can be filtered down through fashion brands and through um, brands that don't necessarily see themselves as athleisure or high tech or performance. It's actually interesting that you say mm -hmm. that because I've noticed a lot of the the sportswear companies are the ones that are using these high tech materials and mm -hmm. and and really doing the research and really trying to understand and grasp the the knowledge mm -hmm. onto what's getting put on your piece. But you really have to look at everyone else, all the other brands. The the day to day wear is the dresses that you have on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the designers should really start looking into, hey, what is in that fabric? What dyes are they using? Um and it's not just fashion. I mean, this applies across industries, too, now. We're seeing all of these developments in interior design, in automotive, even in computer equipment. It, it, so I think it does, you're right, open a door for kind of sustainability in the future. I'm curious, in particular, with sustainability mm -hmm. and where we are now and where you think we're going, are there any some kind of recent innovations that you found really exciting around kind of technology and mm -hmm. the fibers? Well, as far as technology is concerned, I believe one of the biggest innovations of recent times has been the 3D knitting machine. Um, and it, it's been out for about 20 years or something like that. But we're finally catching up. Um, we are finally, we have design programs that come along with those knitting machines that allow your everyday designer to, to engage in that space. And um, I think that maybe if it was more of an open source thing, it would rapidly innovate the sector. Um, I believe 3D knitting from a supply chain perspective, that's a lot of my experience comes from, let's figure out how to do this better, like more efficiently. Um, and that becomes better for your business. It's not just about like, let's um, do a sustainability, like, you know, greenwash scheme. Let's do something that um, is smart for our business economically and um, is more efficient and helps everybody in the long run from a sourcing perspective. And so the 3D knitting machine does that. It allows you to go from yarn to final product in under an hour uh, with very, very little waste, um, like maybe less than a handful of yarn wasted from the product. What are some of the machines you worked on when you were dealing in 3D knitting? Um, we used, Shimaseki is the, the main player in the 3D knitting world. There's stole machines also, um, and then both, both doing those. Uh, some, some 3D knitting is fully fashioned, um, and I guess that's not necessarily considered 3D. But um, the whole garment 3D knitting is uh, Shimaseki machines. So how does someone who's interested in implementing that into their brand start to learn about it, how to use it, the technical yeah. requirements, what it does. 
Well, um, you can start by contacting Shimaseki, but I believe that what we need really are more access to manufacturing. There's manufacturing in um, Asia and Italy, a lot of Shimaseki whole garment manufacturing, but I believe that this is an area that the United States can be really competitive in because there is not a lot of labor involved. And so um, it they can... They are expanding greatly. They're expanding very big. Yeah. And, and in the mm-hmm. Shimizukis, they're selling machines here left and right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And stole. They're yeah. selling a lot of machines domestically. We are yeah. seeing the manufacturing coming back, mm-hmm. and it's mostly with the knitting. It's mm-hmm. just the um, understanding and the education that comes with it mm-hmm. that it needs to be perfected. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think there's a long way that we have to go um, to get the products to where you would want to be comparable to a cut and sew product. But if you go to their showroom, your mind will just be blown by the uh, the design capabilities that these machines have. And I speak to Shimaseki because that's the experience that I have. But I think Stoll is this, is similar. Um and I believe that brands out there who can capitalize on this are going to be ahead in the long run because from a s- supply chain standpoint, this it really, really simplifies um, your whole process. would love to go into the details later on the fiber, the selection to go into the machines. Yes, let's definitely dive into that soon. Let's take a quick break. Back on Material is your business right after this. Greetings, Mouth Media Network listener. My name is Davin Riley, and I'm willing to bet you like music. And even if my assumption is wrong, I still think you should come and check out our show, The Music Lover Podcast, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, pioneers, artists, and the unsung heroes of the music industry. Together, we'll uncover the insider perspectives on some of your favorite companies and artists as we analyze music business trends through a technological lens. Find us at the Music Lover Podcast. But remember, that's Music Lover without the vowels. M-S-C-L-V-R. Yes, we're that cool. And since you're cool too, we should be friends. The Music Lover Podcast. We'll see you there. Material is your business. We're here with Caroline Cockrum. She's an expert in material development around innovative technologies and future of sustainability. And right before we took a break, I know we were talking about 3D knitting and fibers. Samantha, did you want to get into it? Yes. You know, I always like to understand the nitty gritty of the um, of the process. So can you give us a quick snapshot onto from the process of the getting the fiber or what is it that you do when you get in 3d knitting so in my experience my my previous experience we actually had a 3d knitting machine so this was like the best most hands-on like you don't get closer to it than that um it would be different in a brand but um for example shimaseki has an Apex software, which is a design software that allows you to go from sizing into a silhouette. Um, and they, they pre-build these patterns uh, for the novice user so that you don't have to get into the 
deep depths of programming on these machines, which is pretty complicated. Um, but you can start with basic patterns. You can build in um, specific design attributes. You have to understand a little bit about knitting to build in those attributes um, because it's somewhat easy to tell the the machine to to do something that's going to create a huge hole in your garment but so these the apex machine will simulate a garment for you so you can see have i done something to make this look insane um before you even use yarn or make a pro, uh, a proto so it's that part of it saves time and money and yarn cost um yarn material because you can simulate what the actual garment is going to look like. Does a different type of yarns um, alter what you designed? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, when you start out and you have a yarn that you'd like to use, um, a lot of times that's just from working with a yarn supplier. You select the yarn with the hand and the fiber qualities that you're looking for. You have to do a stitch blanket. And so your first your first step in the process is to knit down a stitch blanket to see what stitch length works best for that yarn. Um, and in that, you, you find the tension and um, you figure out little intricacies that will help you knit a better garment. So it's not just to, you're just going to press a button and a dress is going to no, come out. <laughs> it's not that simple, but this is a lot of the pre-production processes. So once you get to production-ready garment, you could you can just press a button. You have your yarn set up on your machine, and your specific tension and everything is set for that design and that garment and that yarn. What are the usual fi- What are the usual fibers that they utilize onto this? You um, can processes. do anything. That's what's so much fun. Um, you can use wool and um, cotton, and you can use conductive fibers if you wanted to, um, which is really interesting. That's something wearables, um, they're looking at how do you knit in wearable technologies. And how about carbon fiber? They've, I think it depends on the type of yarn, but I, I haven't actually knit with that myself personally, but I do know that um, they're they're doing some of that. Um, at research institutes because the um, carbon fiber goes through the embroidery machines and then they convert it into auto carts mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and it's more um, more aligned to mm-hmm. just all over the spectrum in sense of not necessarily fashion versus yes absolutely the- there's so many different uses for 3d knitting across all different categories of business from automotive um, of course there's footwear that's I think that's where this 3D knitting has gotten its um, um, notoriety. Notoriety, <laughs> yes, yes. But there's so many different things. I mean, I really believe in home goods. I have this like, I I want to see a beautiful light fixture that's a 3D knit, and it could, but nobody copy me on that. Okay, future um, <laughs> <laughs> project. Right? Uh, so there's lots of different ways. I think as far as wearables and technology. Um, you can use a, the whole garment machine might not be the perfect one right now due to the types of yarn and their flexibility. Uh, a lot of times you want to lay in, uh, like yarns, like stainless steel yarns and those sorts of things, because the tension and the loops and everything might pull on that yarn in a way that's not conducive to, to whatever properties you're looking for. But, um, there are machines where you can lay fiber in 
and knit around it. So thinking about kind of future projects, Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can touch a little bit on some past projects. I know you've had extensive experience with some major brands, including at Wool and the Gang and Patagonia and others, and kind of walking through maybe a project or two and and what came out of it that may be in the market today. Sure. Yeah. Um, I worked for Patagonia for a couple of years and had an amazing experience with them. Um, really learning how to work, <laughs> like how to how to be a human being and work in this industry. Um, it was a wonderful place to work. But as a material developer for Patagonia, I focused on technical knitwear. And so that was my core focus. And one of the materials that we developed while I was there was the Merino Air. And I got to work with um, our innovation department on that material specifically. Um, well, I won't name any names, but uh, that that was a really important development for us because it was our first time doing 3D knitting at Patagonia and working through the process. What does that process look like for a big brand? Um, and it is interesting because it crosses over uh, when you are knitting a 3D garment, you're not only knitting the fabric, but you're knitting the whole garment. So um, when you have a brand with a product development department, a fabric material department, there's a lot of cross-functional collaboration that has to happen to make this a thing. So I was working closely with product development, with the innovation team, um, with the design teams, and we iterated this project, this, this product, excuse me, multiple times. I couldn't even tell you how many times you should see some of the, like the Dr. Seuss samples that I have at home for this thing. (laughs) They're amazing. But, and then I would literally go for runs in like California, you know, 80 degree sunshine weather wearing a sweater. And I mean, it, it looks like a sweater. It's just like beautiful. You could wear it. I mean, you could wear it out to dinner if you really felt like it. Uh, and you can wear it on a run, and it just turned out to be this amazing technical product. Um, it won a lot of awards, and we were really proud of it. What does it do? Well, so it has super um, – it's it's super lightweight, but has high clo values, which um, that's the warmth-to-weight ratio. And so um, it's a technical proprietary yarn. I won't go into too much detail about the yarn. Um, but that was a collaboration with Tatsuya O'Hara, um, and he's an awesome human being. So we worked together. He found the yarn, and we worked together um, to make it into a product that was commercially viable. Um, so when you're hot, it helps insulate you, um, and it's perfect for backcountry because it's super, super lightweight. So it became um, the product that we use it in was a base layer. Um, but the open knit structure, the zigzag structure has highs and lows to it that when covered with a shell, it's super, super insulative. But then when you take the shell out, you can dump that heat out right away because it's very breathable too. Um, and the great thing about, uh, wool is that it helps regulate smell. Um, it helps regulate temperature and hot and cold. Um, and it just turned into this amazing technical product. It's powerful and, and just shows, I guess, that, you know, you dream it up and, and with a little time mm-hmm. and resources, it is possible. Yeah. 
as you're kind of looking at the industry now, both in fashion but a- across industries, any predictions on where it's going and where businesses should be looking as they think ahead? Hmm. I I mean, I know I'm running this into the ground, but I do believe that 3D knitting is, is the way that things are going to go. I think that we have a huge problem with chasing low labor rates in our industry. And I think that we aren't going to be able to solve for that necessarily until we have another option. And I think this is the other option to reduce um, the necessity of lots of labor in apparel. And it also serves other aspects as well, because, you know, you see a lot in this industry and across creative industries that we're moving into a see now by now, the pace of everything is happening so quickly Mm -hmm. that, um, you you know, you need these things and you want them done yesterday. And and this obviously Mm -hmm. makes that a little bit more affordable as well as as time management. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the on-demand space is, is a huge, hole that needs to be plugged. But I think that it's a delicate balance between just creating a whole lot of stuff and creating stuff that people really care about and want and are going to keep for a long time. It's true. And when we talk about sustainability here, I know you always have to think, even though to Mm -hmm. a lot of people, and it does matter and it should matter, but like you said earlier, there needs to be a business value add as well. It needs to make sense from a business mm-hmm. perspective. And then almost it doesn't just become about sustainability anymore. It's just like the way it's done. No. And that that's the benefit. Yeah. The great thing about sustainability, it's become this like keyword that I've heard makes some people pull their wallets away from things. But if we break it down a little bit, it's the economic, the social and the environmental. Um, It's like that three leg stool that won't stand without one of those. And so I would like to remind people that we have to it's the economic part that has to be sustainable, too. We're, for the most part, for profit businesses and we have to make money off of these things. So. Absolutely. And I think right now with the, just with the machines, just mm-hmm. the particular stole, not to promote any of them, stole or, or Simisuki, mm-hmm. um, these 3D knittings, it's, it's a really good way in approach to the industry mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just utilizing our, our sources. And we don't need that much manpower to do it. So yeah. we'll save money on that. Right. So I mean, the machines a- cost something, but all machine, you know, it's, there's long-term gains, and my understanding is that the machines don't lose value too easily. So, For most brands, they don't invest in the infrastructure. So a lot of times it's leveraging a mill that already has these machines. I think that's the, the um, gap right now is that there needs to be more mills using these machines. Um, so the long-term gains of this type of technology – um, stability within your company, I believe, is one one thing to look at. You aren't chasing low labor rates from one country to the next. Um, you have more control over your supply chain. You're cutting out a lot of the middlemen. Um, you you're not you're no longer working with. Think about it this way: if you can do a solution dyed yarn, recycled polyester solution dyed. Um, so that is where the Pigment or dye is in the chip of the recycled polyester, and then it's extruded into the final yarn. So there you do not have processing, water processing for dyeing and finishing. You might have, you have a little bit of finishing, but um, 
then that is knit directly on a 3D knitting machine. So you've totally stepped away from the knitting mill, the dyeing and finishing mill, and the, the cut and sew mill. So that's those are three. I mean, it is a knitting mill in itself, but... But if we have here in the U.S., we have so much alpaca and wool that we throw away every season. Yeah. All the shavings of alpaca and wool, mm-hmm. it it gets it it gets into it, it, into yeah the landfills, right? And you have to have fine fiber. You it it is important to have good spinning, but we do have access to good spinning in the U.S. too. Um, a lot of we have to rebuild the industry here. Uh, it is important to do that. It's, it has left us, and um, we let go of some of the technology. Um, Absolutely. I was doing um, some research uh, recently on uh, carding machines, because that's uh-huh. one of the things that are lacking here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And to bring in a few lines of that, that could sustain a little bit all the apaca industry that they throw away a lot of their goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where... I'm finding the right end product for those two is really important. Absolutely. So, um, for example, that stuff could be used in beautiful rugs, you know, beautiful rugs, and it shouldn't be a waste product. We've got to be better about using every part of of our resources. Make, makes business sense and environmental sense. Mm-hmm. Totally. Perfect time for a break, and then we're back with our final segment and some fun personal questions on Material is Your Business right after this. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts of Fashion is Your Business, another great show on Mouth Media Network. If you like the podcast you're listening to, Material is Your Business, then I bet you're going to love Fashion is Your Business, which intersects fashion, technology, and innovation, and also American Fashion Podcast, which Harper's Bazaar calls for the true fashion nerd at heart. Both shows and a whole bunch of other great podcasts are all available at MouthMediaNetwork.com. And when you do listen, let us know you heard about them on Material Is Your Business. Thanks a lot. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Material Is Your Business. We're here with Caroline Cochran, an expert in material development and 3D knitting. And it's time for... And now, it's Remnants. Remnants, that's right. Our fun kind of personal questions. Sometimes the last questions we ask in a show are really the best gems. So I have one for you. If you could look back and talk to your ancestors who were cotton pickers and tell them something about the industry or where the world is going, what would you tell them and why? Oh, my goodness. Well, I could probably ask my grandma. No, I think that she did a little bit of that. Um, I think I'd have told them, don't sell your land, first of all. Um, I think I would... I think I would maybe ask them to focus a little bit more on the processes because I think we went through this huge boom in the Industrial Revolution and synthetic dyes and all of these things that we thought were such amazing innovations and they ended up being a little bit gnarly for the environment and for the people who were using them, including my great-grandfather. 
This is weird, but he died on the steps of the mill. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. But wow. don't smoke it. <laughs> um, yeah, he did. That's... And I'd, I'd, we don't, you know, he was probably, it's probably irrelevant to the story, but we do a lot of things that we don't know the downstream effects of in this industry. And I think we just have to think more holistically and pay attention to how things are made. That's intense. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to drop that bomb no, on you guys. It was, okay. no. it was, uh, it was just um, it was unexpected, and uh-huh. it's actually it's, it's it's actually a great example of 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 the effects of things. And probably he just had a lot of energy also, and it was just his perfect way of <laughs> yeah. passing away. But yeah, that was tough. No, but no, um, on, on a nicer note, how about uh-huh. this? Sorry, you have. You have said that you were playing in your drawer with paper and then you took fabric or, or threads. What is your perfect fiber or knitted garment that you like to feel in touch and why? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I tend to be a little bit tactile defensive, which is an interesting thing for somebody who's in textiles. Like certain things just give me the heebie-jeebies. Like I can't, I like scream and run away from them. Um, I think there's some interesting fibers today, including, um, Tencel for one tends to be a really nice fiber and it's a closed loop process. Um, and it has sort of a, a natural hand. Um, similar to a cotton, it's a little bit silkier, but bast fibers in general are really nice. I think that, um, there's going to be a lot of innovation in the hemp department, um, in like nettles and interesting things like that. But I think, again, we have to really focus on what is the processing, what's the redding and is it a closed loop cycle? But those, um, I love organic cotton too, um, I you need to... one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Shoot. Okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> Can you give us maybe a final thought for as you reflect on your work or your personal life or this interview? Anything you want to leave us with? Hmm. I'll tell you a quote that my dad always tells me. Um, the risk is riskier if you never risk it. So... Um, Get out there and try to do your thing. Um, Love it. Yeah. How can people connect with you in your business? Um, Email is the best way to get in touch with me. I have a a personal website also, um, aboutcaro.com. It's just a little portfolio website, but you can also find me through this podcast. Um, Or you can send me an email, caroline.cockrum at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Caroline. Great having you on air. And for Samantha Cortez, adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time on Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. 
Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.